Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select game Gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. I want to open this week's listener mail segment uh, with a very special welcome to uh, my neighbor's downstairs dog who you may be able to hear in the background, who is uh, going through some things. Be kind to your pets, be responsible dog owners. And uh, if your dog is really going through something, check on it. That's that's our takeaway from today. We don't need to pay. Uh, we don't need to play the Sarah McLachlan song. But you all know the one I'm talking about. In the and so the today we're going Sorry. to. Hey, look, uh, look, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm speaking up for the dog owners. When I leave my house, my dog does mm-hmm. that. So I have a feeling your neighbor 
left. I know. Yeah, and you have to, you know, I'm big on empathy. You have to have the human moment. So hoping the dog is okay. Uh, And thanking you, fellow conspiracy realists, for tuning in. Today, we're going to talk about uh, issue near and dear to my heart. Uh, the U.S. is ongoing beef with The Hague. Uh, also, another thing I think near and dear to all of us, speculation about food supply apocalypse. You may be able to see a deep dive of that on YouTube in the, the near future. And then we're going to talk about a conspiracy native to Amazon and TikTok. Uh, but maybe first, maybe, you know, we don't always open up with a voicemail. Matt, what do you think about that? Want to switch things up a little today? Yes, Ben. Let's jump to the phone lines. This is a message we received from Durs. Hey, guys. Uh, it's Durs here. And uh, you can use this on the air if you so choose. In your latest episode of Strange News, you touched on the food supply scare in lieu of Russia's war with Ukraine. And I wanted to add something to that conversation, but uh, it's not going to be the, uh, the doom and gloom that it first appears. So just hang in there. In that episode, and uh, forgive me if I'm incorrect, I didn't hear you mention anything about rock phosphate and, uh, you know, how rock phosphate is mostly supplied by Russia and Ukraine. So we're not getting that anymore. But before this war, scientists already thought that we were going to hit peak phosphorus by 2030. So what? Like, does that mean we just can't have food anymore? Because we can't, we can't mine this fertilizer out of the ground? I don't think that we actually need to. What do you guys know about permaculture? It's a system of agriculture that combines philosophy with smart farming. Google it. Using permaculture, farmers have reversed desertification of entire forests. We mine fertilizer to like exploit a shortcut to a system that already existed before humans started interacting with it. I make my own fertilizer, my dog with weed. That's Korean natural farming, which is a little bit different. But uh, anyway, permaculture at a mass scale, proven to work, it's the easiest, simplest, and most cohesive way to farm. So tell me, is permaculture the stuff that they don't want you to know? Thanks so much for your show, guys. You guys actually cover the apocalypse in a really uh, blessedly funny way. And I appreciate listening to you every day. Uh-huh. What a nice thing to That's say. So nice. Thank you so much, Durs. And 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 Matt, you uh I, I'm familiar with permaculture. Uh actually from from some of my outdoors time. Uh you uh, spoke with Durs and uh Durs actually wrote to us, I believe. Yes. Uh permaculture is interesting. I don't know much about it. I'm learning about it now. And I figure we would all learn about it together. Uh, I did speak to Durs. He's my new best friend. Sorry, guys. Uh, y'all are out. Durs is in. That's just how it is. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> He's just a very, very cool guy. Uh, spoke to him a little bit. He's got a company that specializes in permaculture out there in Seattle, in the Seattle area, I guess. It's titled The Hermetic Order of the Garden Dawn. Oh, oh wow. Snap. I love a good pun. Love it. <laughs> Great job, Durs. Also, um, permaculture, as I'm sure Durs pointed out, while the term itself is from the 1970s, it's descended from some really, really old agricultural and husbandry practices. Yeah, it's a lot of different things. Permaculture is many things. It is mostly, as you said, um, 
indigenous people's practices, right? That kind of got lost over time as industrialization came around. And now it's kind of, we're going back to those roots, if you will. It's, it's a fascinating uh-huh. thing. I'll tell you. Yeah, I'll just tell you some of the things here. Uh, by the way, his company is, quote, a secret society of plant lovers. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. We talked about so many things. One of the most interesting concepts that Durs talked about is that people in general, our society, I guess, we see weeds that are on our lawns as problems. Weeds that are in our backyards as problems. I certainly do. I'm preparing to sell my home. And one of the first things I did to try and beautify this place to be able to make it marketable is to get rid of all the weeds, every single one of them. Uh, Scorched earth, only grass will remain. And that's what I decided to do. And there are so many companies out there that will do that for you. There are so many products that you can do that on your own. And Durr's main point, or one of his main points, was that we should not do that. That's one of the worst things you can do for the soil if you want to actually have healthy plants growing on that soil. One of the worst things you can do is especially apply herbicide and kill all those things. Anyway, mm-hmm. as Dur said, it's way more of a philosophy and a collection of techniques than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. right? That's what permaculture is, philosophy plus technique. I don't know where to, re- where to begin here, guys, besides this peak phosphorus thing, which is a real existential threat for me, even though mm-hmm. it was kind of a theory for a while that we had to throw a little cold water on in the past. But at the same time, it's a real issue, at least when it comes to how much it will cost to continue you know, getting these fertilizers, the rock phosphates out of the ground and then shipping them around the planet in mm-hmm. order to continue our industrial farming practices. It is a bit scary to to me. Have you guys heard anything about that recently? Yeah, I know. I mean, Durs, you are correct uh, in the way that the global phosphate rock system has been disrupted by conflicts. Um, I would also note to your earlier point, Matt, because we did discuss this, I think, briefly a number of years ago, saying that things are like when you said we threw some cold water on it, which is to a degree mm-hmm. true. Uh, we by no means said it wasn't going to be a problem. Um, there are a lot of things that I think sometimes people don't take as seriously because they hear really hyperbolic descriptions of them. But just mm-hmm. because some one source is being alarmist does not in any way mean that the problem is not there it's like it's like the question about the timing of when peak oil will be reached it's a very similar problem with peak phosphate um i think primarily because no one really knows like we know where the um we know where you can mine phosphate rock in a cost-effective way mm-hmm. now uh we know that there are certain areas that have great reserves of phosphorus but we don't know exactly when we will see those affordable reserves exhausted. Is it going to be 50 to 100 years? Is it going to, is peak phosphorus going to be 20, 30? Is it going to be several hundreds of years? Uh, the jury's out. And there are a lot of smart people who disagree on this. Mm-hmm. To me, it reminds me of the rare earth elements or the rare earth materials episode oh, yeah, that we know. did. Thanks where to there's everyone a ton. Who wrote Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a ton of this stuff, rock phosphate and, and mineable phosphate, 
on the planet that we could access. It's just it's concentrated in a few specific places where it's economically feasible to mine it there. But otherwise, it's just spread out in ways that it would be difficult to make a lot of money or to have it even just a, a, a profitable company at all to just gather up the phosphate in these you know, various places across the globe. So it could be a really big problem headed our way. I guess the next thing we need to do is kind of define what is permaculture a little better, at least for my mind. Ben, you mm-hmm. mentioned the 1970s is sure. when the term at least came around mm-hmm. uh, by a few Australian guys, uh, Bill Mollison, David Holmgren, and they wrote a book. It's called Permaculture One. That was really the thing that kicked off the movement of permaculture, I suppose. Yeah. And you and you you raised a great point where um, in some of the conversations you and I have had in the past and what you just said now about your conversation with Durs, that there is a culture, a philosophy behind this. Uh, the idea, I think maybe for people who aren't familiar with the term, we could go to uh, something you had linked to from NC State with their appendix mm-hmm. on permaculture design. Um, I think they're introduction is quite succinct and covers a lot of the bases, especially like the three driving ethics or axioms of the belief. Oh, yeah. That's a perfect place to start, Ben. I'll give you this quote that comes from that book as a basic definition of sorts, and then we'll go into those ethics. Uh, The definition is, quote, consciously designed landscapes which mimic the patterns and relationships found in nature while yielding an abundance of food. Fiber and energy for provision of local needs. So basically, your local area using what's there and designing the thing out of what's already there. Like uh, just making the land essentially work. Uh, It's in a way, it seems as though we kind of want the land to work for us. We want this land to make the corn. We want this land over here to make the wheat. And that's all it is. That's all it's going to be. That's what we're going to do. And this philosophy, it's way more like, well, what naturally grows over here? Uh, What's Mm -hmm. edible that grows in this land already? Let's design it around that. So the former idea you outlined is mono agriculture, right? Those are the things where you, those are the practices where you see an entire swath of land growing only soybeans or growing only, you know, one specific type of profitable crop in profitable Mm -hmm. in whatever current regime you live in. Um, But for much of human history, this wasn't the case. People lived closer to the land and they were practicing the thing you described, the latter idea, which I think is superior. Um, If you are in the United States, you might be familiar with the concept of the three sisters, which is the corn, beans, and squash You plant them like you plant the beans at the base of the corn stalks and they help support the bean vines as they grow and reach the sunlight. You the idea is you can um, by farming, you can look at it as not like as helping plants work together and people working with plants. You can also um, you can also rotate the crops you grow in such a way that enriches the soil rather than growing just one crop that over time could deplete the soil. So there's science to this. What we're establishing is mm-hmm. there is philosophy, there are ethical guidelines, but there is 
like, and I'm sure Durs, you would, you have probably had to point this out to people in the past. There's solid science to back up a lot of this stuff. Oh yeah. Oh dude, there's all kinds of science and, and fascinating things I've never heard about. Did you guys know there's a German method where you cut your lawn that has grass on it and you, you cut it into squares then you take that lawn and you flip it over so the grass side is down. Oh, cool. And then and you leave that there and then that grass breaks down into the nutrients you need to feed stuff that you plant into the soil on top of that. I've never heard of that. That's news Sounds amazing. to me. That's news to me as well, Matt. I I love learning new things. That's awesome. That reminds Dude. me of uh when Scott Benjamin over at Car Stuff years ago, you know, Scott, I love the guy. Uh he told me I was I was doing a piece on uh two two cycle engines, right? So I was fixing all these little lawnmowers and I was getting frustrated. And he was like, you know what you should do, Ben? You should buy a goat to, to <laughs> cut your lawn. And that's a real thing people do. You can rent goats to cut your lawn. And arguably it's more sustainable than than a gas guzzling motor. But but I love like Matt, do we know how old that idea is in Germany or how recent? Uh, I don't know. I'm here somewhere in one of these links that I shared, guys. It's a specific <laughs> technique. Oh, Lord. I'm not going to be able to find it right now. Uh, I missed a step, by the way. You have to get decaying wood or like uh, dry old or older wood that's just around somewhere from, you know, probably just sticks falling down and things like that. But you mm-hmm. have to put that wood between the ground and that grass layer that you put on top because that wood breaks down the same way the grass breaks down. And that will feed those plants that you put on top of it for years, I guess, or, or at least for a long time. According to Durs, I don't know these things, guys. Durs is very smart and knows these things. Um, <laughs> there's also something I figured you guys might have encountered through Ridiculous History. Mm-hmm. You guys ever heard of night soil? Oh, yeah, night soil. Human poop is Ooh. fertilizer. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, it's sort of like gray water, maybe, where you uh, take the runoff or the you know parts of the water that you use in your house that don't have human fecal matter in them and use it for irrigation. Yeah, mm-hmm. n- night night soil is an historic practice too. It's quite an efficient one, but uh, but I think what a lot of people might not know is night soil is still commonly used as fertilizer today in different parts of the world. That's right. That is right. Again, just mix your poop with wood chips and you've got some really great fertilizer. That's uh, you do that anyway. <laughs> that's, what nope. I, that's what I wipe with. Oh, oh, Lord. There, I um, mean, there are controversies, though, about it being linked to uh, some health concerns, you know. But, fair. Oh, but yeah, make, sure. But it makes sense when you're, you know, like imagine you're a farmer. I will just say for the sake of argument, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago and uh <laughs> and you don't have a, a big company you don't also have a general store where you buy fertilizer so you're saving up the poop and then you're probably also having a lot of kids because that's free labor right it was a very different mm-hmm. time all right <laughs> guys i'm gonna get to those ethics we never yes. said them y- yes. yet this is according to uh, nc state north carolina state university i'm assuming and mm. this is on one of their websites it's appendix g permaculture design it's from the north carolina extension gardener handbook okay here we go permaculture ethic one care for the earth Stop me when Seems you guys legit. feel like this is sounding like the guidestones. Um, care for the earth. 
The discipline looks to nature as a model for design. Permaculture includes replicating and restoring natural systems. With this ethic, permaculture emphasizes organic and sustainable methods of working with the land. It promotes the use of naturally occurring and locally available materials for design, installation, and maintenance. Awesome. And number two would be care for people. One primary goal of permaculture is to provide for people's basic needs, including food, shelter, human connection, education, and a sense of purpose and place. A permaculture designer aims to produce both food and pleasure. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Uh, Number three, share in the surplus. The third ethic is to share the surplus once basic needs are met. In alignment with natural systems, excess yield is transferred to another system or person. Waste becomes an asset to be repurposed. Now, I know you were kind of joking, but there are some guidestonesy feels about some of these, like in that it feels more like a philosophy, uh, more than like a set of instructions for a, you know, sort of practical functioning system. But that's, I don't think, Matt, I don't think you were joking, Matt. I mean, I know the precepts mm-hmm. we all do, but you, like, Matt, you were just literally saying earlier that this is a combination of philosophy and practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, practical tactics, right? Yeah, it really is. And it and it does, honestly, it really, I'm not joking. Well, it feels yeah. like the Guidestones to me, uh, like it. leaving room for nature, finding a way to work with nature, basically. Um, he, here is my thing, guys. This sounds amazing. This sounds like also, and I'm, I'm serious, Durs, this feels like the laying the groundwork for a cult, you know, like, <laughs> and not in a bad way. I'm not saying permaculture is a cult. I'm saying, these are very positive, awesome things. Uh, it just does make me feel like you could use this as your as your like um, uh, support structure to get a bunch of people out living on a piece of land with you. Oh, yeah. you know? Communes, I mean, you can't, you farms, kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't spell permaculture without cult. Just putting <laughs> that out there. but that's not what I don't mean that at all. I'm not trying to speak badly about the philosophy sure of the either. movement. It's just when I'm when I'm reading that out loud and I'm hearing it then and mm. putting it all into my head. Mm. Yeah, because you could use that yeah. phrase. Permaculture yeah. designer aims to produce both food and, and pleasure. pleasure. <laughs> well, you know, the BuzzFeed headline is libertarians hate this agricultural system. Uh, then, you know, for some people who are a, a little bit sensitive about stuff, uh, the idea of the third ethic may seem um probably too close to socialism in some ways. Uh, I mean, the big difference from permaculture, between permaculture and uh, the precepts uh, from the Georgia Guidestones is obviously not the demand for um, a mass lowering of the population and hopefully not descended as directly from belief in eugenics. But uh, but also in defense, and again, this is not, this is a point that has nothing to do with uh, with perspectives on current society, what sticks out to me here is the emphasis on systems, right? On yeah. systems. And uh, society is a system. A group of people is at heart a system. And in the natural world, way before human beings ever existed, that third precept and that first precept were enforced at times brutally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, nature's been a lot of things, but it's not always the nicest, the nicest thing. I, I, I don't know. I think this is, especially the emphasis on learning and mimicking natural systems. 
Like the more yeah. sophisticated so much technology becomes, the closer and closer it cleaves to being uh, very similar to pre-existing uh, things that were formed by environments or by evolution. I strongly believe that. It doesn't matter if I believe it, it's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the the one thing for me, guys, is mm. this all sounds well and good. It sounds amazing. It sounds like the right thing to do. One of the things Durr said was, no one picks up leaves in a forest and the, the soil's doing great in there. And that's one of the whole points. Like The way these systems function is to sustain themselves, right? The way a forest functions, the way a meadow functions, it will sustain itself if you don't touch it and it's going to grow and be great. It just won't do maybe the things that we want it to do, but you can gently shift those things and those systems to work for you rather than tearing them up and trying to build something new, basically. Mm -hmm. I really mm -hmm. love like, the philosophy he was teaching me. The way Durs did this is he went to... A special place. I can't remember Durs what it was, but he just looked it up online, found a school basically to go to and learn all about permaculture. And then he started a business and he's, you know, he's running a successful business right now doing this stuff. My question is, how do you do this on a mass scale? Really? Because mm -hmm. it feels like it's going to be impossible just to fill up the, the stores with the food that Americans and much of the Western society is used to. Right. I don't know that you can. Maybe you can. It feels unfeasible to me, which, you know, maybe it's not. And hopefully somebody out there knows that it's not and knows a way to do it. Mm -hmm. And we can figure that out because this does seem a lot more sustainable than the factory farming. It's just I don't know how it would function at scale anytime soon. Oh, I would love to talk about this more in depth, Matt. I say we do an episode because I've got some old. Absolutely. Like okay crazy stuff about this. So, uh, Darius, you're going to have to tune in for that. I think this will be a fun one. Sweet. I'm in. Well, that's it for now. Thanks so much for calling in, Durs. And we'll be right back with more messages from you. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. 
Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we're back with one more message uh, from from you. Uh, And in this case, you is A. Connor. Uh, And here's how the message goes. Hello. I am an American and have lived in Europe for 30 years now and teach at a community college here in the Netherlands. I really enjoy both stuff they don't want you to know and stuff you should know. Um, A few months ago, I gave my English as a second language students the exercise of choosing one of your episodes, listening to it, and giving a short oral report on the episode in English, of course. I would would love to hear that. Oh, shucks. Thanks. yeah. Uh, A. Connor goes on. I also teach social studies and international studies. So for those courses, every year our students visit the International Court of Justice in The Hague, where we talk about how it works and sometimes get to watch some of the war crimes trials. Most people do not know that the U.S. does not participate in the court. <laughs> they do help find and transport criminals, and historically they did help create the court. However, they do not participate in it. It would be great if you did a show on the International Court of Justice, especially given the recent debate on U.S. democracy. Love to hear you guys. Keep up the good work. Kind regards, A. Connor. Ben, that was a very telling chuckle, um, uh, I think, because why would the U.S. not want to support an international court that tries war criminals? It's even crazier than that. Okay, so uh, a lot of Americans don't know this, but there are... um, There are some people who are lauded as heroes by certain factions of the U.S. uh, population that can't travel to places because they might get arrested. Uh, And yeah, your point holds, uh, Noel, about the idea of possibly being war criminals. I would like to introduce everyone who hasn't heard about this. Uh, well, wait, first off, first, I'm excited. I'm jumping around. But first off, A. Connor, thank you. Yes, done. We're doing that episode. It's weird Easily. that we haven't done it it's yet. So much. It's so rife. It's yes. fascinating. Because in here's how deep it goes. And um, A. Connor, I'm sure you know this, but for anybody who's not aware, this stance against participating in ICC is so ingrained in American culture that back in 2002, under the uh, 
Bush administration, they passed the American Service Members Protection Act. And mm-hmm. that has a street name. The street name is the Hague Invasion Act, meaning that <laughs> if you take someone that we care about, because the U.S. doesn't treat everybody equally, obviously, if you take someone that we care about and you try them in the court, then we are sending the world's biggest, most dangerous military to the court and not to peacefully testify, not to be character witnesses. So uh, there's a really, really cool piece, cool, I don't know, it's just a good like primer on this that came out in April 16th of this year um, on NPR. It was filed by Michael Martin on All Things Considered, and he interviews John Bellinger III, who is a former legal advisor for the National Security Council, uh, specifically about this kind of fraught relationship between the U.S. and the International Criminal Court. And the host starts the interview uh, very... I don't know, straightforwardly asking this gentleman, um, why? Why is it that uh, the, you know, so he he sort of gives a little background. So the International Criminal Court was established uh, relatively recently in 1998 by an international agreement that's called the Rome Statute. And the U.S., you know, to A. Connor's point in the email, um, did help negotiate that accord. In the end, it didn't formally join. Uh, And he asks Bellinger, why not? And he uh, responds, the real answer to your question is that the U.S. has been concerned from the very beginning that the prosecutor for the court would be given too much power unchecked, and he or she could conduct politically motivated prosecutions of U.S. soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A.K.A. Oh. bring them up on war crime charges, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's more to the story, too. Uh, to well, certainly. But, I, but I'm just saying it's like we don't do war crimes. In the United States. The I US think that's does. sort of the, uh, what I'm saying is, I am the U.S. We don't do war crimes. <sighs> that's what Got other it. countries do, war crimes. We don't do that. So, therefore, we are not going to uh, put our rubber stamp on a situation out of our control that could call our men and women in uniform before some sort of European tribunal and, and rake them across the coals for just doing Uncle Sam's good work. Uh, that's the wow. idea. I mean, that's why that's why there's standing law in the U.S. I'll dig into this uh, and have the specifics uh, for the episode. But that's why there's standing law in the U.S. that says, you know, you can't prosecute certain people or positions for exercising the actions that are expected in their role uh, hmm. unless they're you know, there are things that are outlined. Right. But there's. That's why the U.S. doesn't um, accuse a sitting president of war crimes, right? When, yeah. when there's a conflict in a region somewhere else in the, in the world. Uh, but this idea, it's important to note, has never been tested. The U.S. has not invaded The Hague for two decades and counting. So picture the U.N., or the International Criminal Court with one of those little uh, erase boards in the break room that says it's been, and then somebody in marker wrote, 20 years since the U.S. invaded the Hague. It's strange. There's some CYA there, obviously, and a lot of U.S. allies didn't like this move. Um, And the U.S. started instituting this strategy of obtaining immunity from other state actors in order to, like, in a quid pro quo. So it's it's a fascinating yeah. process, but it's not something every country can do. And the U.S. would say, of course, as the lawyer pointed out, they're not signatories to the ICC. 
Well, uh, you know who else is not? There's another country that's in the news right now that's doing some things that doesn't recognize. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly where this uh, this article kind of stemmed from or this uh, this NPR piece was, you know, the U.S. uh, or, or the president of the United States, Joe Biden, went so far as to call Vladimir Putin a war criminal. Um, and where do war criminals get prosecuted? It's, it's at The Hague, at least in terms of international affairs or the international you know, community. Uh, and yet we would not hold our own um, officials or, uh, or soldiers to that same standard. So at that point, you know, I mean, I know it's complicated and I know it's definitely we, we're going to keep this short because we don't want to spoil anything that's going to go into the episode and definitely requires a deeper dive. But it feels very hollow for Biden to say that as sort of a buzzy thing to say to I'm taking a stand. And yet we don't actually recognize the jurisdiction of this, you know, largely internationally legally recognized body. So it's kind of like not really putting your money where your mouth is when you say a thing like that. Yeah. Also, let me just read the list of countries who are not part of the international criminal court. This isn't a full list, but Russia is not. Neither is the U.S. We've established that. Neither is China, nor India, nor Uh Iraq, Libya, Yemen, Qatar, Israel, Ukraine, like, it's not everybody is what we're saying. And then I do want to say, I know we do want to keep this short, but I want to say there could be rational slash legitimate concerns from the perspective of those countries. The ICC gets a lot of criticism. It's been accused of um, being a tool of Western imperialist or neocolonial powers, punishing like the leaders of smaller, less powerful states in Africa in particular, while ignoring crimes committed by other more powerful countries. It's like even the African Union wants to withdraw from or made moves to withdraw from the court. It's hard to find a court that every country agrees with. And there are a lot of accusations about conspiracy. So A. Connor, as the Templar Knight said to Indy, you have chosen wisely. This is perfect for an episode. And there's an Indiana Jones coming out, number five. I don't know if, if you no, guys heard about that. Uh, don't. Yeah, He's melted true. my face off. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the last one was so middling. Harrison Ford will be better. in this one. I don't know about okay. Shia LaBeouf, but. If he can still stand upright by that. I mean, no, okay. No, no, no shame there. Harrison's a stud. Um, hopefully think... there won't be any like CGI monkey swinging. That was, I couldn't handle that. It, just, <laughs> well, it took all the magic out of the previous films. The Indiana Jones franchise also. Uh, as far as I know, like Russia, India, China, and the U.S. and those other countries uh, does not acknowledge the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. So it's going to be up to the good folks at Rotten Tomatoes to decide whether or not Indiana Jones 5 is a crime. Well, good luck to you, <laughs> Indiana Jones. <laughs> really, I mean, really honestly, battle there. Uh, you could argue Indiana Jones himself might have been guilty of some war crimes. I mean, yes. he just shot that guy dead. He was just swinging a sword around. I mean, come on. That's not right. <laughs> he also you talking about the airplane guy. Yeah. No, the, oh, yeah. What's that? Also. Oh, he, wait. The no, no. But guy. there was a dude who like, yeah, there's a dude who's like swinging a scimitar around. Yeah. And, and making a big him. show of it. And then Indy just shoots him dead, you know. And that was improvised. He also shot that alien. He shot that alien, man. In, uh, in Star Wars, mm. he definitely shot first. And they've that's revisionist history right there. Han shot first. Just dude. And he ruined out. that fridge. 
Well, he also stole a ton of priceless artifacts. Look, I say this as a fan of uh, many films in the Indiana Jones franchise, but the guy's a criminal. These are criminals in the international. Not a great deal. You guys know what else is coming out? I think it's this weekend. It's the new Thor movie. Yeah, it's out uh, tonight. That looks good. As we record. Love and Thunder. That looks fun. I'm Christian pretty Bale's sure villain character looks oh, wait, dope. It, it looks like tomorrow, Skeletor. Tomorrow. It's very oh. Masters of the Universe looking. I, I like that vibe that I'm getting from the trailer. Can't wait, guys. I don't get excited about many movies. How do we but... go from international criminal courts to <laughs> Thor? I love Just that movie. about this show. Crime and jurisdiction. <laughs> yeah, we, this is a great thing. We, we got there because I just had to reference the Templar Knight from uh, The Last Crusade. So oh, yeah. that's how we yeah. got there. But but you, yeah, you, you I think this is thing. something more people uh, should know about. And the decision for the U.S. to participate or not participate in the ICC is such a who does high... It ride, who does it ride with? Who does that rest with, Ben? Well, it's such a high-level decision. I think it's executive branch, uh, but it's such a high-level decision. I may be wrong. That the average voter doesn't get to do anything about it. doesn't matter what you think. You can call your that's local right. rep, I guess. All I will say to end with, if that's okay, is uh, this guy Bellinger, you know, who seems to, to know what he's talking about. Um, he says the U.S. should be a member. But sadly, that ship sailed back in 1998 when the negotiators over U.S. objections during the Clinton administration negotiated a treaty that did not address U.S. concerns. So, yes, it's painful for me as an American, as a lawyer, as the former legal advisor for the State Department representing a country that has long been at the forefront of international criminal justice. It is unfortunate that the United States is not a party to the International Criminal Court. We should be. But for the time being, I think U.S. policy will have to continue to be through both Republican and Democratic administrations. Uh, is to support the court when it is doing what it was set up to do, which in this case is the investigations of the Russian war crimes and crimes against humanity in Ukraine, uh, which is exactly what the court was set up to do. Mm. So boy, oh boy, um, this is a, a, a deep dive of an episode that we're going to have coming up in the in the near future. And, and thank you, uh, A. Connor, for this, um, you know, just kind of light bulb moment, uh, I think, for all of us. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with one more piece of listener mail uh, from you. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. 
Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we've returned. This one comes to us via Instagram. Uh, A lot of people reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter, various missives, crossroads at midnight, all the hits, all the good ones. And uh, this person requested to be anonymous, and they hipped me to something that I I shared with you all off air. Uh, It was somewhat strange to me because it's something I had never heard of. A lot of times we get a good idea. We're thinking, why haven't we done an episode on that? Like the ICC, I think it's crazy that they never came up in conversation. Um, or maybe it did back in the YouTube days. But this question, I'll read the pertinent bits. I had to remove some stuff to uh, help preserve this person's identity. Uh, but if you are listening, thank you. This is a very strange one. And uh, just like academic journals, the uh, piece we did earlier, which by the way, we got, we got some, uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to get some feedback from the world of academia on that one. But like academic journals, this idea is a little bit niche. So here it is. Anonymous from Instagram reaches out at Ben Bullen to say a TikTok trend called the hashtag read and return challenge instructs readers to read books on Amazon quickly, then return them. Amazon no. gladly does so then deducts the money from those authors. This has led to an increasing number of authors and observers wondering whether Amazon is complicit in this trend, pushing authors to join their Kindle Unlimited program. Now, earlier, and and this anonymous person did something I love, which is uh, sending some sources, sending some uh, articles that they had been reading and relaying some of their own personal experience. At the end of this week's segment, we're going to ask if you have encountered something like this. Uh, It reminds me of earlier this week when we're talking about 
how to manufacture a viral marketing trend? What if you could pull those levers, not just to try to make a a middling film a success, but you could pull those levers to incentivize behavior in people? Here's the scoop. So Amazon has this thing called Kindle Unlimited. Full disclosure, I've used Kindle Unlimited for a number of years, often to get books related to various branches of research, things that are so subject-specific I'm probably not going to keep them, you know, as a physical copy. But the story really started with someone named Lisa Kessler, who is an award-winning, very prolific author, has written 44 novels, 44 separate novels. And then earlier in June of this year, uh, blew up with a tweet where she said, hey, just a reminder, Amazon is not a library. When you read and return a book, it costs the author. It's June 1st, says this again, successful, award-winning, prolific author. And I owe Amazon at the moment because people are reading through a series of books she wrote and returning the books when they finish. So Kessler was in an interview with BuzzFeed, and she said, This problem started around May of this year, and last month, per her, there was this swell of returns of entire series of books, and they didn't seem to be related to people not liking the actual book or accidentally buying something, which, you know, can happen when you're shopping online. She says they ran through them and turned turned them back in and got their money back. You know, this is a hustle people have done at retail stores in the past, right? Like, I, nobody has to admit it if you've done it, but I'm sure there are many of us listening in the audience today who maybe bought something that they were going to use over the weekend and then returned it because you just needed it for the weekend. And also the like the permissiveness or laxness of return policies, it, it comes off like a feature where it's like, oh, I'm not taking any risk by buying this thing because I can just return it, no questions asked. But there are so many ways to game that. Like, the, like a, you know, a scam you'll see in movies sometimes is like people will steal something from one target and return it to the other one because you don't actually have to have the receipt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And in some cases, especially for a lot of big retailers, the headache of the paperwork and returning and processing something is or, or like denying a return, it just doesn't make sense for their use of time. That's why there are things that that's why there are so many algorithms in place, right? Like if you order something that's not incredibly expensive from a company like Amazon, you know, and you just get your whatever threshold to get free shipping, and then you say the box never arrived, if you're not doing that really often, they'll probably just send you another box of the same stuff. You know, totally. I think the term is called spoilage, like in business in general, like there's a shrinkage, certain, maybe? you know, yeah, maybe it's one of the two. Um, but th- there is a certain allowable level of that. Like, right. I think we had even talked about like in, you know, this isn't the same, but in like drug uh, cartels, they have a, a allowable amount of cash that just gets eaten by rats, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's like, OK, it's like, ah, it's just like a little spoilage. Mm-hmm. Look, we're we're past it now, but I have to say it. Say it. Nobody talks about shrinkage. <laughs> Seinfeld, anyone? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. So, <laughs> so this is not a Seinfeld problem, though, because a lot of these authors are independent. 
You know, they don't mm-hmm. have the Seinfeld comedians and cars getting coffee money. Uh, instead, what they're doing is depending upon these sales and when these things are purchased as ebooks, they ideally you would get paid off that. You get like royalties of some sort. But when that ebook is returned, the royalties from that sale get deducted from the author's Amazon account directly. And per Kessler, there's also a digital delivery fee that Amazon charges the author. Sounds kind of BS to me. That's like the Ticketmaster fees. Yeah. But they don't I mean, get they'd argue it's feedback. for maintenance of servers or oh, something. Sure. They, they'd yeah. argue it. Yeah, it's something. <laughs> so uh, our cynicism is showing here. Well, uh, but, but Ben, you, you, you have to imagine they probably also are getting Spotify money compared to what they would get for like a purchased physical copy of their book. Right. And here's where the conspiracy comes into play. The going, like the running theory is that Amazon is aware of what's being called a hack. Uh, like you can buy an ebook and you get seven days. You have to return, you can return it in seven days, no questions asked. And you could even hear people, you'll hear plenty of people arguing that ebooks are a scam, but that's a story for another day. Uh, the conspiracy, if you'll let me, Pepe Lopez, just a little bit, guys. Uh, the conspiracy is that Amazon is aware of this trend and complicit in it. Uh, and they're allowing it to happen because they want to incentivize or push these independent authors toward the Kindle Unlimited program. And the Kindle Unlimited program doesn't have the same return policy. So it's like... Um, Kindle Unlimited is Amazon's ebook subscription plan, and that pays authors by the pages read instead of just buying, you know, the entire work or something. So if you go to Kindle Unlimited, you read 10 pages and you decide, well, Muammar Gaddafi's Guide to Permaculture is not for me. He's just coming from Mm. a different place. Then you (laughs) then, uh, whomever owns the rights to that book would would get the 10 pages. So, you know what I would buy? What would you buy, Matt? A little a little book from Lisa Kessler titled Pirate's Passion. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it it's it's real passionate. You can tell <laughs> by the cover, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's the conspiracy theory. That's going around. That's the idea. That's the speculation. Um, Looking into it, there are some questions that I would have to ask. We have to interrogate that theory because, one, Amazon, is Amazon not powerful enough that they could just say all books have to go to Kindle Unlimited? Maybe maybe they aren't. Maybe they can't get the uh, literary whales like the uh, Malcolm Gladwells, the Stephen Kings, the J.K. Rowling, Rowlings, or what have you. Um, but then it feels a little circuitous, right? Like there are two ways to look at it. So there are a couple ways. So Amazon could, the far end, the deep, the deep end of the conspiracy theory pool is that Amazon did this somehow, right? They did it. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, hey, you have to go to this, uh, this model that we have, they did it on purpose, even though it feels kind of roundabout. The other more moderated or mitigated idea is that maybe Amazon saw it happening and thought, 
well, this works out for us. We're, we're opportunists. Eventually, these people who are not powerful enough to change our return policies are going to have to do what ultimately makes them some money, even if it makes them less money than it than the previous model did. Both of that them would seem suck to if that was true. Yeah. We've seen them doing shady stuff like this with like designers too, for example, where like they have this Amazon marketplace where you can like upload a design and then through Amazon, they'll print on demand like a shirt or a coffee mug or whatever, sort of like, you know, sites like T Public, but it's all within the Amazon ecosystem. And it turns out that a lot of like freelance designers are having their like designs stolen and then put into the Amazon, you know, whatever the automated system and then printed and, and they get no money. So we know that Amazon doesn't particularly have scruples about this kind of thing in terms of because, I mean, think about it. Like if you're not John Grisham or, or whatever, um, sorry, that's the only like big author or Stephen King, you know, you're an independent seller. You depend on those ebook sales, not only for a little cash, but to get your name out there because it's like the distribution platform of, of choice. Let's not forget Amazon started off selling only books, you know, and they've still kind of kept an iron fisted grasp over that market. So they really have like small creators over a barrel. And mm -hmm. what are you going to do? Say, well, I'm not going to put my stuff on Amazon anymore. Okay, cool. Go with God, they say, right? Right. It's kind of like the old adage from back in the days of, of the West, when, uh, when the U.S. was expanding westward, you probably heard this story a hundred times, but the idea is you go to a small town, there's just one saloon, there's a guy playing poker, and the dealer is clearly cheating. And one guy points out to the poker player, he's like, hey, this game is rigged. And the poker player shrugs and says, I know, but it's the only game in town. Like, that's, that's kind of how these monopolies can work. And that is a very real danger. But it also launched a pretty nuanced discussion uh, that you can read in, you can read excerpts in the Daily Dot and Chicago Tribune, pick this up and so on, about the nature of ownership, what differentiates a bookstore from a library, you know, whether you should be able to return a book just because you say you didn't dig it. And this all leads us to what's happening now. As we record now, there is a petition going around on change.org pushing for Amazon to change its return policies for completed ebooks. Uh, you can find this very easily. And their ideas in the petition, they explicitly say, we don't have a problem if somebody reads 10 to 20% of a book and they don't like it. You can turn it back in, return it because you didn't like it. It's like taking a bite of something at a restaurant and sending it back. But then if mm -hmm. you read the whole thing and return it, it's like you're in a restaurant. You ate the fries, you ate the hamburger, you know, you're polishing off the cookie or whatever. And then you tell the server you were not satisfied. The, the meal wasn't up to your standards and you want your money back. You know what I mean? Ew. I'm, I'm sure a lot of our, our fellow conspiracy realists in the service industry are like nodding with their brows furrowed right now. Yeah. You've seen those people. I've seen it. Oh, you got war stories? It's probably there? one of the worst things. It's just one of the worst things. I've been on both sides. I've been at a table when somebody did it, and I've been, you know, <laughs> walking out as the server to pick up a plate, and they're like, yeah, that was awful. Um, we're, I'm, gonna, I'm not paying for that. You just realized like, it was awful. <laughs> Classy. 
Anyway, but if, if you um, if you agree uh, with the following two ideas that one change.org petitions work and that two Amazon should change its policies, then I encourage you to find this petition uh, and give it your John Hancock and see if that will trigger a um, a response from Amazon. Uh, and with that, we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. Thanks to A. Connor. Thanks to Anonymous on Instagram. Thanks, of course, to Durs. Thanks to everyone who tunes into the show every every day, every week, every episode, every segment. Uh, and thanks even more so to those of us who take the time to contact us. We love it. We want to hear your thoughts. I'd like to end with a very special thank you to the um, the amazing work of independent authors in the U.S. and abroad across the planet because it's a daunting task. But I think it's an important pursuit. I think it's an important profession. We can't wait to hear what you think, folks, about permaculture, about the ICC, about uh, the big A, Amazon, nowadays. Uh, so let us know what's on your mind. We try to be easy to find online. Oh, yes. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we're at Conspiracy Stuff Show. But there's more. That's right. Uh, we are also authors, at least officially, especially Ben. <laughs> like, really. You can buy our book. It's coming out right now. You can pre-order it. It's called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Uh, it's got our names on it. You'll see it. There's a picture of, I believe it's the Capitol, guys. Is that correct? Capital in uh, a UFO, you'll you'll recognize it as soon as you see it. It's got this cool orange warm tone to it. Uh, check it out. Please don't return it on Kindle. Like if if you can help it, we unless you just really don't like it, we get it, sure. But still, don't don't return it. That'd be cool. All right. We also have a voicemail system. If you want to call, you can. Our number is one eight three three. S-T-D-W-Y-T-K. You'll call, you'll get a message letting you know you're in the right place. You'll have three minutes. Those three minutes aren't ours. They're yours. Go nuts. Get weird with it. Highly encourage you to do so. Give yourself a cool nickname. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us, uh, second most importantly, if you are comfortable having your name and or message on the air. Most importantly, do not censor yourself. If you have ancillary links you would like to send us, if you want to walk us to the front of the rabbit hole, we'll do the rest. All we have to do is drop us a good old-fashioned email where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.